Thank you for checking out the HR Like a Boss podcast. If it resonates with you, please consider leaving a rating and review, and better yet, subscribe and share with a friend. I've embarked on a journey to get to know amazingly awesome HR and business professionals. These conversations create the foundation for my book on what it takes to do HR Like a Boss. This is John Bernadovich, and I'm continuing my journey of writing my book, HR Like a Boss, and I am super excited today to be joined by Viola Lazar. She is a retired HR pro living in Alberta, Canada. Hello, Viola. Hi, John. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Doing just Excellent. great. So, Excellent. So glad to be joined by you today. Mm -hmm. So uh, please tell me, I know I got referred to you by a, a mutual contact of ours who uh, sang your praises. So hello to Lisa. <laughs> Thank and, you, Lisa. <laughs> yeah. And my, and my hope and aspiration of getting outside and different perspectives on this book journey that I'm on uh, mm -hmm. in writing something called HR Like a Boss that uh, she had recommended that you and I chat. And so if you don't mind, maybe tell our, our listeners a little bit about what you're doing right now in retirement and then what uh, you did to earn that awesome experience to be able to do that in Alberta, Canada. Uh -huh. um, well, we, I recently retired as of the beginning of this year. So it's still um, a little bit of a transition. And uh, with the COVID, it's been an even more interesting <laughs> transition to do some of these things. But it's, it's been good to come back home where our family is. Um, I am getting uh, enough contacts and so forth that I still get lots of HR type related questions from anything from investigations to um, coaching and uh, empowerment and engagement and so on and so forth. So it's uh, still a, a ongoing treasure of mine and I've always enjoyed HR a lot. So I started um, many years ago. Um, I had had decided to go into private industry. I'd been in the universities and so on and so forth, went into private industry and I became very good friends with the vice president of HR. And I thought, I really like this stuff. And, um, and uh, she said, you, I, wish, I wish all of our managers could understand it like you understand it. So I thought, well, let's try and do that. That was in the 80s when there was a little bit of a downturn um, in the economy. And so I went back to university and I got an undergraduate degree in, in human resource management. Um, from there, I also have a master's degree, um, but it's an MBA degree. Um, I thought about getting sort of something more in organizational development or some of those things, because that's, that is probably where some of my passion lies. But I found it really, really important to really understand the business to be a partner in the business and, and you have to speak the language, you have to understand how to do the financial modeling to do the different things. So um, I chose that route. And mm. at one point in time, I thought I'm taking a course on uh, lean management and I thought, I will never use this. I use it a lot. <laughs> so, Isn't that funny? It, yeah, yeah, it was, it was very interesting. So I've done that, I've been, involved in HR since 88 um, and companies, acquisitions, divestitures, um, you name it, been through all of those kinds of things. Um, worked with TransCanada and Nova. Nova was really known in Canada for um, very advanced HR thinking and lots of different things. So I had an opportunity to explore that and did that. When we went to uh, TransCanada, 
um, TransCanada and Nova merged, which were um, at the time, uh, the newspapers announced it as the Care Bears Meet G.I. Joe. Uh -oh. So, <laughs> uh -oh. so, cult yeah. Yeah. so culturally, it was going to be a very big haul and uh, it was interesting. And I was uh, the HR person that worked with all of the field people across Canada to try and help make this, um, quote, uh, merger uh, work. It was a very interesting process. And uh, through that, I learned a lot about um, culture, uh, re-engineering, uh, what it means to be just the regular guy uh, out there trying to do these things. And it was definitely a man's world, oil and gas industry. Um, so, but I was, I was traveled a lot and made a lot of friends and I still have some of those friends even from that early time. So it's kind of nice, kind of nice to do. Then Williams uh, bought the last bit of midstream assets from TransCanada and I became the lead for Canada. Uh, for their Williams Energy Canada uh, subsidiary. And then they liked what I did. They liked what I brought. So they took me down to the head office in Tulsa. And I went down there in 2005. And that's and, what brought you to the States? Yes. Okay. Yep. So that's what I did. Came down there. So I started- from Alberta, Canada to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Well, that was probably an that was an adjustment weather weather wise first and foremost, having seen in, yes. in both both of the areas of the world that you you were wow that's a, that's got to be a bit of an adjustment. It was definitely an adjustment. I don't think I ever got used to walking out at night and having it hot. Yeah, <laughs> but, right. Um, it was also a big difference from cultural cultural sure. experience, very big difference, and uh, so I, I found it a little tough to settle there. I remember when I first um, got there, people would say, oh, just drop by. They don't mean that. All right. I found that out, but um, so it was a difference in culture, and, and because I think probably my previous experience, I was able to figure some stuff out and adjust some of that cultural stuff and figure out it may be the same word, but it doesn't mean the same thing, so. Yeah. Uh, a lot of those kinds of things. That was really good. And then I was asked by Williams to go and help set up the HR for the green site with the Marcella Shell in Pennsylvania. And so I ended up in Pittsburgh for the next seven, eight years and um, was there developing that green site. So we were growing so fast. So it was keeping the talent managed, helping to keep them organized, keeping things on track, finance, uh, construction, I mean, all kinds of things that, that were going on there. So it was a very crazy time. Um, from there, um, to be perfectly honest, I got burnt out. Mm. And I was just exhausted. And I thought, I just need to, um, to take a bit of a break. And I, that's how I ended up at Atlas. Because uh, a person I've met through all the acquisitions and the business dealing at the Marcellus, uh, introduced me to um, Robin Harris, who is the uh, VP of HR at Atlas Energy. So I ended up there and that was a unique experience. Um, that was an oil and gas company owned by finance people uh, and treasury people. So totally different than the operations I was used to. Um, so big difference, big difference. But through that, I did re-engineering, process re-engineering. I've done uh, as I said, mergers, acquisitions, I've done talent development. Um, I've been very successful at redesigning performance uh, and development programs for across Canada and, and within the US and so forth. So it's been lots of fun.
I also did some comp stuff, found that boring after a while, but <laughs> I did it. <laughs> you did it. That's awesome. What a, what a well-rounded story and um, such unique experience. And it sounds like after you made that, that change from uh, academic or working in university and getting into the energy space that uh, you, 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 you found your industry niche or maybe it found you, right? And, and <laughs> it's interesting how certain industries will tell you that uh, there's, there's, there's uniqueness to us. So I'm, I'm sure the oil and gas and energy space is, is one of those that you can certainly Absolutely. distinguish. Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I spoke at the, one of the Marcella Shell conferences in Philadelphia and it was, it was a very unique experience getting through the protesters that were at the same time cooking burgers on a propane barbecue. Can't quite figure out how they got those two together, but. <laughs> hey, you got to eat, right? You got to eat. You got to eat. <laughs> no, that's cute. That's cute. Well, well, hey, you, you said something uh, in the midst of your comments, just introducing yourself, and, and I really appreciate that. Gives, I think it gives great context of the, the diversity of the experience that you had and your knowledge. And, and you hit on the main premise of, of the book, which uh, I say in a very careful way because I, I, I'm not looking to offend anyone in any shape or form. That's not, not what I'm trying to do. It's just more maybe a level of encouragement or or perspective that maybe I see that sometimes others might not is mm -hmm. um, to me, an HR like a boss a resource professional, it doesn't have to be the head of HR or it doesn't have to be the CEO uh, is, is a business person first. It just so happens to practice human resources. And you made a comment about that in the beginning as well as decided to get your MBA as opposed to more of like a specialized HR degree. So I'm just curious, like from your perspective, your, your view of the purpose of HR kind of through the, the diverse experience that you had. I think it's understanding the business. And I think it is truly, um, it, I had Peter Drucker, I went to one of his presentations a few years ago and he said, HR is the conscience of the organization. And I really struck, stuck with me because I thought, the role is using your expertise to help the organization do what is right for people, the community and the business and finding that appropriate balance. Hmm. No, that's, that's profound. Yeah. No, the conscious, I think that that's great. Yeah. I, th I think uh, to me, right. Also to the profound part of this from an HR standpoint is that you can touch so many different parts of the business, right. Just naturally through the, the, yeah. the, the part every part of your business has people in it and HR should in the most yeah. appropriate way have that profound positive impact on mm -hmm. them so yeah I'm curious in your time in HR what 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 about it did you enjoy the most Viola what was what, what stood out to you in your in your your journey within human resources growth 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 for myself because there was okay, always yourself. something okay. new right. uh, I could do and also the growth in those around me and the opportunity. So when you're saying you don't have to be in a formal position for a long time, I never had a title on my business card because it was irrelevant. It was more about the relationship and the partnership that I developed. So staying in my office was of no value, but getting out there and having that relationship, then I was able to influence and make a difference. And my title never mattered. Hmm. So. so it's interesting. You talk about growth. So that's one of the key premises of that, that, that I also feel like is important that you see, you see companies looking to try to 
forever try to grow, right? They for, and, and there's there's a logical mathematical equation, and you, you talked about it maybe in your experience working with a, an accounting run or financially run business. Um, maybe that was more more important in that regard. But um, is there is there anything in particular that you saw from your HR perspective of profound growth, whether it was yourself or team members or a department, or and then relating it to the business having that kind of financial implication that that mirrored the others growing with it at the mm. same time i'll give you um an example that came to me really from my very last role because i went and, and helped out with um, a company called Re, um, reliance insurance and i was working with them and the first month i was there they had just completed their performance system and um i literally had take a number at my door. I had people lined up from morning till night and nobody was happy. I even had somebody hire a lawyer to have her reviewed edited. So it was things I'd never heard of. It was absolutely insane. And I had been brought in to try and come up with a new performance process and something that worked. And I was able to make that influence I did it through research. I was able to support the data um, that was needed. I was able to connect with them, help people make uh, it easy for them and simplify it for them. But we had 95% um, participation and zero complaints mm. a year later. Wow. Even for the person that hired the attorney? Yep. Even <laughs> for the person that hired the attorney, which was really interesting. Yeah. Now she still struggled. She had some things, but, but she didn't feel mistreated or um, not listened to yeah. the second time. So it was, that to me was the kind of growth that you can do through research and really thinking about how you can influence. So it makes sense. But of course you have to do that to the senior executive too, because they don't want to risk this. There's a lot of investment in that stuff. So they want to make sure that what you're proposing makes sense from a business perspective too. Yeah. And you make me think about something that, that I've spoken with a couple colleagues and friends about, and, and maybe it's interesting, this, this concern or resistance to change. And I think during the times that we're in right now, right? I mean, gosh, are we, are we strained to have to make changes? And part of me feels like there's, a, there's an innate stubbornness that people have. <laughs> <laughs> that they just they just don't want to do that no matter even if it's for their own well-being right do, do you feel Absolutely. like people's like the colleague that you mentioned that, that that change could have been could have been and would probably likely be and based on the science you had in the data a good change for her mm -hmm. and others in the organization but this their stubbornness of like well i don't want to do this so i'm going to get my attorney and have them look at this language yeah and stubbornness to me is a is a, a part of the change management that resistance to it. I think I think stubbornness is, but I think it's uh, as much as anything a fear of of what am I going to lose? I, I don't have control. That's a feeling that comes with change. So what can I control, and what can I do to make that difference? I think it's part of the the reason people are quote stubborn. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, to, no, that's to some extent going a couple layers from that, right? What's driving the stubbornness is, I, I agree with you, some level of fear 
some concern that's going to be bad for me. It's going to be different for me. I'm not going to like it. So as a result, I'm just going to kind of hunker down here and just stick to my guns, even yeah. though um, there, there may be really a lot of good reasons or science to say that, sure. that you should be doing something. So, But I know that one. I've worked with that one before, so I'll stay there. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So you, you uh, from what Lisa's recommendation was, and even from the short time that we spent on our video chat, right, you're standout HR professional. What do you think are the characteristics that make an HR professional stand out? Hmm. Um, obviously, integrity. To me, that's, that's critical. Um, I think the credibility. So um, as you said, I'm a business person. My expertise is people. So if I'm going to have that, I have to be really credible in that part of my expertise. Um, I can't be just sort of fads and like things. I need to be really good at what I'm doing. Um, and people need to find it credible. And I think the third part is, is the ability to do partnerships. Because mm -hmm. I think otherwise, you know, people don't like HR. Because why? Because the only time they see HR is when they're in trouble. And some of those kinds of things. Or secondly, they feel like HR gives them work to do when they're really already busy and they don't see any value in it. So if you've got those two different things, you need to be able to do a partnership to try and influence that change. So, so my ex expertise has to be credible and I have to have uh, a lot of integrity and, and good partnership skills. Yeah, so that point of, there's always a moment in, in my journey of this and, and having done some of my research and, and presenting on this topic, we talk about uh, why, why in a room of all HR people, mind you, why do people hate HR, right? And, and mm -hmm. the first time I asked the question, I was afraid to do it. And I actually put a disclaimer out there because I didn't want everybody to like walk out on me or start booing. <laughs> but honestly, by all, I mean, I, I, had, we, I had to stop the hands from raising. I had to, guys, we got to keep, I'm going to run out of time. It was one thing after another, after another. And I think your points you make are, are keen on, you know, I'm going to get in trouble. Right. Yep. Your HR is here. So I'm in some form of trouble or I did yep. something wrong. It's going to go on file. <laughs> right. It's going to go on your file. And then your point of, you know, just the fact of, you know, outside of getting in trouble is that you're going to give me more work and I don't necessarily see the value in that. And, and people, to your point, have to have integrity and, you know, mm -hmm. science and data and insight and that partnership to help them kind of journey through that together in a way yeah. that you see organizationally will be better for them. They sometimes may not see it themselves. Yeah. So do, do yeah. you have in your, in your experience, having, having worked um, in a variety of, of you know, companies and different organizational situations where you, you teamed up with a, a peer in HR that maybe struggled with, with, you know, they were in human resources, but, but deep down inside, or maybe not necessarily, they were vocal about it. It just wasn't the right fit for them. And why, why was that? I've worked with two. Um, the ones that, that really, it just wasn't a good fit. Um, I think they took on the problems instead of helping the other person solve the problems. Mm. And so all of a sudden the ownership transferred. And so that person was really good. They no longer had the monkey on their back. And so they could move on. I think that I saw a lot too where HR in the past has, has almost been like a cocoon or protector of the senior leadership in the business. Um, just trying to not do too much change because they're so busy. It's almost like they 
say, I'll take on that whole aspect myself and then it doesn't work either. Um, the other hand, I think that people get into HR because they really like people <laughs> and they really um, want to make that kind of difference, but they aren't, they don't, they think of all that stuff first and they don't step back and think about what's the vision, what's the strategy, what are the priorities here? So if they are going in to help with an org design or something of that nature, they tend to jump straight to, okay, let's make sure we get the right people together and they're thinking together and all those kinds of things, which is really just fine. But you can organize anything in a number of different ways. But if you're trying to really um, hit a business objective, some ways are going to be better than others. So that to me is where you start. And I had a, a teammate that would come at it from that other direction and, and she was getting a new uh, business partner, uh, a very senior experienced person. Um, and she came to me and she said, I need to look at this differently. Um, I don't know why, but somehow this is where I'm going and this is what I've done. And so I took her back and I said, so what do you know about this person? Why, do you, why was he hired? Why was he brought in? What issue or problem was he uh, brought in hoping to address? Understand some of those kinds of things. And then you'll be able to work with them a whole lot better in creating something that's going to be truly what, what you need and he needs. And I talked with her actually a couple of weeks ago and she's just sailing. She's gotten opportunities that she never imagined she could have had. And she was a manager of, of HR for a, a smaller company for a long time. So mm. it was good. It's good to see. Yeah, that's, that's cool. And I think, I think naturally there becomes at times, and as you mentioned before, HR's involvement is when there's a problem or somebody's getting in trouble and you might in an HR capacity dream about getting into it because you like people, but then all of a sudden you're dealing with all of these problems, right? You're pulled into these problem situations where people that maybe were not the right fit or in the wrong job or mm -hmm. their, their why, their, their why and, the, and the organization's why don't align. So then you kind of get stuck into that and mm -hmm. that can be a real unique cycle that can be challenging for people. Yeah, absolutely. So now I guess, I don't know if you, this is maybe an unfair question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because I'm, I'm, I guess I'm the one asking the question. So I get that, that <laughs> right. If, if you know, a silver bullet question around fit, right. People talk, and I've, I've seen this a lot in, in, in the work that we do, a lot of skill set, kind of job description mm -hmm. requirements are really important. But the companies I see that do it the right way, they really are more interested in the cultural fit, the connection of the candidate, the diversity that they bring. Uh, and that, that they have the knowledge and, and competence to, to mm -hmm. build into or learn the role. Is yeah. there a question or two that you used or saw others in your, in your line of work that really helped to kind of pinpoint on that culture fit? One is a question around change and how they've managed change, how, what, what was their role, um, what did they do, um, what was the result of what they did, uh, all those kinds of things around some kind of change. Uh, was their role a change agent or was their role kind of stubborn, <laughs> whatever that, that kind of thing was. And the other question that um, I tended to ask a lot was, um, have they ever observed something unethical? Mm. And what did you do? Yeah. Yeah. So it was always interesting to find out what they thought might have been uh, unethical, mm. uh, as well as 
what they did about it. And I heard everything from embezzlement to, um, you know, things, harassment to um, just misuse. So as well as, you know, no, I've never, I haven't. I've had the good fortune of never seeing anything unethical. So. Wow. Yeah. It was always interesting, but certainly. That's a good one, right? Because it's kind of a test of like, you know, what, how, what was their perception of what unethical is? And you get kind of a sense of their, it's kind of a general HR understanding, right? Maybe something they think mm-hmm. is unethical isn't at all in theory. Yep. And then what they did about it to me would be yeah. the interesting part. Like, did you keep it a secret? Uh, did yep. you, you, you know, it was the CEO, so you masked it under the, 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 yep. the rug. So you didn't want to get in trouble or did you mm-hmm. go and maybe on the opposite end, did you, did you not handle it the right way? Did you yeah. expose a bunch of different things that maybe could have been handled in a more exactly. in a discreet yeah. and professional way? So yeah. that's cool. It tells me some ownership as well. So, yeah. So if you could go back to that point when you made that career change, Viola, from, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, into HR and, and now looking back now you're retired. So you, you, you understand the kind of the end journey from a career perspective, although it mm-hmm. sounds like you're, still giving out free advice. <laughs> uh, maybe you need to charge for it if you're not, but I'm sure they're good friends that are calling you. So they are. Yeah, yeah, you want to help them out. I, I totally appreciate that. What, what, what advice would you give yourself or to, to a person just starting out uh, his or her or they career in, in HR? I think two things. One would be confidence um, that we really do. If you, if you know your stuff, which most HR people have a good idea of, of their HR, providing they, of course they've had the training and the experience, is to have the confidence that they can influence, that they can step out there and have the conversation with the CEO um, and it's just fine and they'll appreciate it. And I think the other thing that um, for me came up within that is just, um, if I don't know something or I don't understand something, having the confidence to ask and not feel that I've gotten out of there because sitting with a, you know, a CFO or something like that and saying, okay, I understand this, but I'm not understanding these terms. I, I need you to help me figure out what that means here and how that works. And they're delighted to teach. I learned something and they also learned something about me from a business perspective and appreciation. So I would definitely do that. Yeah, both of those answers had the word confidence in them, which I think mm-hmm. is profound. And I, and I know you've experienced it yourself based upon what you shared, because you, you'll run into a person that started their career that, that has confidence, not, 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 they're not arrogant, mm-hmm. they're just confident. Yeah. And, then, and then you have the, 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 the reverse or opposite uh, to where, where they may, maybe experience provides them with more of that, that, that uh, springboard. Just mm-hmm. curious as to as to what do you think makes someone at that stage confident in themselves, even though they have little to no experience or frankly, probably have never talked to a CEO in that type of setting before, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, for me, it's strengths-based. So what gives me energy? What, um, where do I find myself going and getting lost in time? Um, that helps me to, to kind of build that confidence. Hmm. Um, so that, that is a, a very important thing for me from a development perspective is focusing on people's strengths and not look for what they're doing wrong, but look for what they're doing right. Because you can, if you study wrong, all you get to know is how many ways you can do something wrong versus if you're looking for why did that work? 
how did that work for that unique person? Then you're helping them to discover as well. So that's important. cool. No, yeah, that's a, that's a good suggestion. Well, Viola, you've been great. I'm going to get you here out. I'm going to get you out of here on this question. It's, it's kind of my, my last one to get your perspective on the premise of, of what, what I'm trying to, trying to do here in this, this small project I'm doing on the book. So how, how would you describe someone that does HR like a boss? Like any boss, balances management and leadership. Management being the processes, the vision, the direction, the metrics, all of that and leadership being the bringing out and, and helping people develop that natural talent, that unique talent they have. Hmm. Well said, well said. Well, I really appreciate your time. This, this was awesome. Some very unique insights, uh, continued success and relaxation in your, in your retirement. You. I'm so thankful that Lisa made the connection mm. and uh, I'll keep you posted on how things progress and um, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. I Absolutely. Really Delighted. Take care, John. All right. Take care. Bye, Bye now. Thank you for checking out the HR Like a Boss podcast. If it resonates with you, please consider leaving a rating and review and better yet, subscribe and share with a friend. Until next time, let's continue to aspire to do amazingly awesome HR.